0: Following in the steps of Jesus. I remember when I was very young I used to love to go hunting with my father and I also loved to go uh, with him fishing and doing things that uh, dads and sons do together and I distinctly remember as I'm sure all kids at one time or another try to do trying to match my steps to his steps. In other words I would follow behind him and especially in North Alabama, if we had snow or it was a little bit muddy, I would try to be able to put my footprints in his footprints. Of course, as a young boy, it took a lot of jumping and a lot of effort to try to be exactly in the footprints of my dad. I think the Christian journey is a little bit like that. When we first begin, we are looking at the steps of Jesus. We're looking at the steps that the Father wants us to be in and we realize that it's such a struggle. It just every day is very difficult to find ourselves getting exactly on the path we wanna be on. It's also difficult for us to reach those steps and we find ourselves using every effort we have. And sometimes it's such a struggle we wanna give up and sometimes we can't even get our feet to match the steps of the Savior. But then as time goes along, And as we grow and mature and we become disciples and then parent and grandparent disciples, it doesn't become necessarily easier, but the journey becomes more familiar. And that's the way I think it is with any relationship. The more you get to know another person the more you spend time with them the more then that you begin to understand them and the friendship grows sure there are even much more difficult times in the beginning like when we have for instance some new pastor or preacher moves into the area i'll often invite them to lunch you know and i buy their lunch and of course when you buy someone's lunch they feel obligated the next time to buy your lunch And so we have this thing that we do now is when we invite someone to lunch and I pay for their lunch and they pay for mine, then we say, now we're friends. From now on, we go Dutch. We pay our own way. We're getting more comfortable as that relationship develops with that person. It's true in so many areas of life. And this is what God wants. He wants us to feel as if we are in that relationship. He wants us to, to feel his love. He wants us to to know him deeply and personally, and Jesus wants the same thing, and that's what a part of the Spirit's job is, is to enlighten our hearts and to bring us into a place where we're more comfortable following in the steps of Jesus. I want to share with you today, first of all, some Old Testament background to the text we're going to look at in Matthew 28. I want to look at some Old Testament background of making disciples of the nations. In Isaiah chapter 42 we have this very important text. Jesus said throughout his ministry that I did not come to nullify or do away with the law, I came to fulfill the law. Jesus would often speak from the law, the writings, and the prophets, the three sections of the Hebrew Bible and he would quote out of those sections, or he would teach out of those sections, and one of those very important sections in the prophets is in Isaiah 42. This text says, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. We know that Isaiah is talking about Israel, and Israel is in a struggling period of their, its history. It's in that, time when they have disobeyed and when the captivity is coming and when the exile is coming and some are already in exile and God is looking down at his people and this is what he's saying. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations he will not shut or cry, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Now we're beginning to see here that this is foreshadowing or prophesying about the coming of Jesus. Yes, God is going to use, Isaiah says, the nation of Israel to be a light, to be a, a guideway, to be a lighthouse for the nations. And he's going to bring his justice to all nations, not just to to Israel. A bruised reed, talking again about Jesus, he will not break, and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord God says, the Creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is very much a looking forward to and a prophesying about what's gonna happen when Jesus starts his ministry and he goes into the temple and he picks up the scrolls of Isaiah and he reads from this text and other texts of the Old Testament. Jesus is going to be the one, he's going to be the answer to this light for the Gentiles. Yes, God has always wanted his people, Israel, to treat other people fairly. We looked at that last week. But now God also intends for his people, wherever they are, whether Israel in ancient times, Israel in the days of Jesus, or us today, to be a light to all nations, to be a light for all people. And the goal of this is to help guide people to the Father to help guide people to the creator. This God that the text says here is going to take the hand of Israel and guide them. He's also going to take our hand and guide us. So Isaiah is now setting the stage for what is going to become a Bible-wide, Bible-wide goal, a Bible-wide direction that God is going to take with how he's trying to save the world, how he's trying to save people. We know from John 3 that the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And the way this is done is for those of us who are believers, being a beaming light, being an example, being a voice, if you will, in the world. It's a voice of freedom. It's a voice of redemption. It's a voice of justice. It's a voice of equality. All of these things are wrapped up in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, of him having come, died, buried, raised from the dead, and now sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning with God in the spirit, looking forward to that time when we will be a part of his new uh, creation. And now let's move over to Luke and let's look some New Testament background to making disciples of the nations. Here in this text that, that we read just a little while ago, Jesus says to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. He's now, Jesus has now been crucified. He's been buried. And this is the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples. He said, everything, notice, must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All of those key sections of the Hebrew Bible that prophesied about Jesus, that foretold the coming of Jesus, that talked about the stone that the builders would reject and how it would become the capstone. This text is saying now Jesus is saying this is coming to be true. What was said in the past is now coming to fruition. Everything that was written about me is coming true. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. We know in the teaching and ministry of Jesus that often the disciples would look at each other and they would be confused or bewildered. They didn't have a clue about what Jesus was really saying. And when Jesus started talking about that he must go to Jerusalem and that he must die and must be betrayed into the hands of people, they didn't truly understand what that meant. But now, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is starting to fully clarify for them what they need to understand. What really this good news message about the light to the nations, making disciples of all nations, what that's really about. So he says to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and just a few weeks later, we know this happens in the book of Acts. We see this beginning. All of these people gathered from all over the known world of that day coming to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost, and here they hear the message of the gospel proclaimed. Peter stands up, the other disciples stand up, and they teach them about what is important and how that Jesus has come to do this very thing, to bring repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is also important in light of the Jewish understanding because for Jewish people, they were always making offerings for forgiveness. They were making offerings sometimes on a daily basis for forgiveness. But now once for all, Jesus comes and he not only is the priest, but he also is the lamb. And he sacrifices himself so that this repentance And forgiveness of sins can come into the world and this is the key to the escape from darkness this is the key to the escape from being enslaved by sin this is the key to the Exodus out of a worldly kind of living into a living for God and a living for him throughout the world and being an example throughout the world and now that brings us to then our text for today in Matthew And in Matthew, now the disciples as they were in Luke are in this gathering together and they have been both uh, really discouraged as we saw in Luke with those two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus with their heads down to the ground. And then Jesus appears to them and he reveals himself to them. And now the other disciples have an opportunity to see the risen Jesus. So they've gone from this total place of despair to a place of great joy seeing Jesus again alive. And now they are about to take all of this experience that they have had, and they are about to be commissioned or set on the path by Jesus to carry out what has been a century-old plan to save the world. So here, these 11 disciples are here in Galilee, and they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When we visit Galilee today, there's the Sea of Galilee, and all around it are mountains, And I always wonder when I'm there on one of those mountains, would I be standing perhaps where Jesus stood with these 11 disciples and gave them this commission. It really is quite overwhelming to to have that experience. But when they saw him, they worshiped him. This is without a doubt in scripture, the common way, the common response that people have when they are in the presence of divinity. Even when people see angels, they fall to the ground in reverence and fear, wondering what's going to happen next. Well, in this situation, these disciples are worshiping Jesus, but at the same time, they have their doubts. Now, let's return to that, uh, that moment where we're trying to follow in the steps of one of our parents, or we're trying to follow the example of someone else. And, you know, as we, we, we make that effort, it can be discouraging. It can be very difficult. Uh, If we're talking about literally following somebody, it could be in the mountains, it could be in very difficult circumstances, it could be where there's snow or ice, uh, all kinds of things could exist that would be obstacles in our path if we're doing a physical journey. But on the spiritual journey, it's the same way. There are obstacles along the path. And Jesus now faces his disciples who are very worshipful of him but at the same time, they've got down deep in their heart some of these creeping doubts about the whole thing. Now, I think we all know what that's like. We, we know what it's like to need to make a decision. We know what it's like to, to, to be living life, but yet at the same time, because of some experience or because of some discouraging thing that's happened to us in our life, we have this creeping doubt in our hearts. It happened with John the Baptist. You know, He was the one that preached and foretold that Jesus was coming. And when he went to prison and just before he died, he was completely in doubt as to whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus about it. So if John doubted, if these disciples had doubt seeing Jesus as they did, it's not uncommon, not unusual that we're gonna have doubts as well. But here's the thing to remember. Even though we may be doubtful down in our hearts in some ways, we still have been commissioned by God, called by God to do a job. Sometimes we have to do our job even when we're uncertain. Sometimes we have to take steps forward into the future even when we're not sure where we're going or where it's going to lead us. We have to trust God. That's what faith is about, putting our faith in God. So these disciples are worshiping, some doubted. Then Jesus comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that is a very bold statement. Remember last week when God is speaking to Israel in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, and he says, I am the Lord. That is a voice of authority. So Jesus wants to set the tone with his disciples right off the bat. He wants them to know and he wants to maybe give this authoritative kind of voice that would help them in their doubts and that would also give them encouragement. So, you know, when we're going through doubtful times, when we're going through chaos or confusion, we are very encouraged when we find someone that has strong faith. Someone we can talk to that can reassure us or tell us it's going to be okay. It's like those of us that are facing retirement now. I mean, it's a, it's a, a bit overwhelming to think about, you know, leaving a job you've been in for a long time. It's, it's a little overwhelming to know what the future is going to hold, know how things are going to work out financially. All of those are, are confusing thoughts that we can have. So in those situations, we truly do appreciate someone who's already had the experience that can guide us. We appreciate someone who has wisdom that can help us. That's a great blessing to have that kind of voice. And Jesus is this authoritative, calming, assertive voice in this moment in time. Therefore, he says, because I have all authority, God has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. The way we have translated this in the past is, as you go, make disciples. The the command is not to go, but the command is to make disciples as you go. And this is critically important for this text because the only or the main verb of this text is to make disciples. All the other verbs around it are really supporting disciples. supporting ideas, supporting concepts. So for instance, if I decide that my job is to baptize everybody in the world, that's my job. If I decide that that my job is, is to teach people and that's it, then I'm missing the main point. The teaching and the baptizing is supportive of making disciples. Jesus spent three years with these people that followed him to help them become disciples. And he didn't expect them to just become disciples and say, okay, that's it, we're done. No, he expected them as they became disciples to also in turn make other disciples. As a church, it's easy for us to lose the fact that this is the key concept, the key foundation of our ministry is making disciples. Now, we do a lot of things as a church. We have a food pantry. That is a wonderful ministry. We have, we have missions in, in, in Honduras. We have done missions in other parts of the world. Uh, we we have all kinds of ministries that go on. We have Bible classes. We have teaching ministries that go on. We actually help people with pastoral counseling, like with our elders and shepherds helping people. All of these things are things that we do as a church, but these are just a part of what our key role is, and that role is making disciples. One of the reasons that churches fail, or one of the reasons that, that churches don't Uh, last very long, they don't grow into the future, is they have lost sight of this main idea. They've lost sight of this main goal that we have as a church and that's making disciples. And yes, as we make disciples, a part of that process is baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey things. I mean, Paul said to several people that he wrote to, I hope that you're going to obey not just when I'm there, but you're also going to be obedient when I'm absent. And that's our hope. As we teach and train someone as far as being a mature disciple or how to be a mature disciple, we hope a part of that growing is learning to do the right thing when you're by yourself learning to do the right thing when you're not around other people that believe the same things you do, learning to do the right thing at work, in your families, when you're traveling, learning to be the presence of God wherever you go. And that's what obedience is. It's obeying God in all the situations that we face. And surely Jesus says, again, this is a reassuring thing for these disciples that have some doubts. I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is always there. Let me give a brief application from Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, notice we just referred to this, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. One of the objectives that we have as followers of Christ is that we have to always be about the work of salvation. We have to always be about trying to to put ourselves in the right situations, try to make the right choices in, in all the situations we're in, and encourage others around us to do that. A part of being a faithful disciple is realizing that I have some obligations. I have some responsibilities when it comes to salvation. But notice further, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it's not just me and my good works. As a matter of fact, that's the minimal part of it. It's really about what God is doing to bring about good works in me. So God is working in my life to enable me to do his will and to act according to his purpose. So when I'm in prayer at night, when I'm in prayer in the morning, one of the things I wanna bring before God is that God help me to remember today that you are alive within me and that you are trying to keep me focused on what your will is, what you want to happen, and what your purpose is. And please, Lord, this day, do not let me lose sight of that. Further, Philippians 2 says, do everything without grumbling, are arguing now we could double underline that because this is a common problem not just in the world but among disciples is losing our focus due to being complainers or grumblers or arguing about everything sometimes we can be like two-year-olds or three-year-olds we want to always ask the question why and we want to whine when we don't get our way this is a common human experience And he says the reason you want to avoid grumbling and arguing and complaining is so that you may become blameless and pure our goal is to be the children of god and to be above the standard of this warped and crooked generation in which we live so living in a warped and crooked generation means that it is easy for us to be bent in that direction it's easy for us to be influenced in that direction but what god really wants is for us to shine among the world, among the nations, like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. I think that's a great picture for us to end with today. I'm going out into the world. I'm shining like a star for the Lord Jesus and for God in the world. The Spirit is guiding me into the world to shine like a star and I am, as I do that, I'm holding firmly to that word of life. And it doesn't just mean the Bible, because Jesus is the word of life. God and the Spirit are words of life. So we are literally holding on to, to our Father. We're holding on to Jesus. We're holding on to the Spirit as we move out into the world. And returning to our picture where we began about following in the steps of, of, of a dad or a mom is that sometimes that parent has to take the hand of the child, right? Anytime we come to a busy highway, we got a two or three-year-old, hold dad's hand, hold poppy's hand, you know, as we cross this road. This is a dangerous place that you cannot cross by yourself. That's true in the world. We have to hold on to the hand of the Father in some places. There are some places that we just have, because of our training, because of our maturity level, we're just automatic with the way we behave in a situation or or how we consider all the possibilities as we enter into a certain situation. But there are times when we have to, before we enter a situation, say to the Father, Lord God, this is a place where I'm weak. This is a place where I failed before. So I'm asking you to hold my hand as I take this next step forward. I'm hoping today that you are following in the steps of Jesus. And I'm hoping today that if you're not following in the steps of Jesus, that you're very close to starting that journey. Maybe you're in a place today where you have some sin, some wrongdoing in your life that's just creating a great deal of shame and guilt. It just weighs you down. You go to bed at night thinking about it. You can't sleep because of it. God does not want you to live in that situation. He doesn't want you to live with shame and guilt. He wants you to confess it. When we bring our sins and wrongdoings out into the light and the light of God's word can shine on it, the truth of God can shine on it, it destroys the power of that sin or the power of that activity. And so that's why accountability is so important in the body of Christ. And that's why confession is so important. So maybe today for the first time, you need to confess your sins to the Father. Maybe you need to be baptized into Him. Maybe today as a believer, there's something that's been dark, darkly hidden down in your heart that you need to confess to the Father. Maybe there's some relationship that you need to ask forgiveness in or, or you need to be restored in some relationship that you have been involved in that's gone astray or it as has you've become estranged to someone that you love or care about. There are a lot of things that can get us off the path of following Jesus. So today I'm hoping that you will ask the Father to forgive you if you need it and you will also ask the Father to guide you and to take your hand as you make those difficult steps into the future. And the the plus about all of this is that we as a family, as a church family, are doing this together. We're not doing it alone. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the path that he has laid out for us. We're thankful that we can, with your help and with the Spirit's power, we can follow in the steps of Jesus. We know we will fail. We know we will have moments when we have doubt and there's confusion. But Lord, we know that you are there to help us and we thank you for that. Lord, today we pray for anybody that's listening or watching today that you would open their hearts to the truth of your word, that you would open their hearts uh, to your will, and Lord, if there's someone that is thinking about but yet hasn't made the choice to follow Jesus, we hope that person would make that decision today. Lord, we thank you for all you do for us. Please forgive us and give us your peace this day and be with us during this difficult time. And we pray for healing. We pray for for vaccines to be effective. Uh, We pray that you would guide us into this new year. Thank you through our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go in peace.